Lesson number six this evening in our study of uh, the life of Peter. Um, I guess technically not really the life of Peter, but more of the education of a disciple through the life of Peter and just the lessons that, um, that the Lord taught him and then teach us today as well. So there will be a, actually a lot of reading um, tonight, a lot of verses um, to read, so get your, uh, get your fingers and your voice ready, and we'll um, jump in there. But let's go ahead and pray before we get started. Lord, I do thank you for, for the opportunity and the privilege to be able to um, just to be in your house and then to be leading the, the, the study and the lesson tonight as we um, go to look at a lesson on reverence and of you and who you really are and us and who we really are and positionally there. And just help it to be a challenge to us, to be a challenge to all of us tonight um, for what you uh, would want to do in our lives this evening. Help us be able to stay focused and alert, and we'll give you the honor and the glory for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so there's actually, again, as I said, a lot of verses, so a lot to start. It's actually talking about the, um, not the story, but the accounts of the Mount of Transfiguration. Um, so we're actually, we'll just read. Uh, we'll see how we're doing time-wise. Might skip some of the verses as we get further in here. But, uh, so Matthew 17, 1 to 9. And since there's just a lot of verses, I'll be in the rotation tonight to help read them on that. So Matthew 17, 1 to 9, verse, not, verse 1. It says, And after six days Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John his brother, and bringeth them up into an high mountain apart. And he was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee, and one for Moses, and one for Elias. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud, which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, hearing in heaven. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face, and were sore afraid. And Jesus came and touched them, and said, Arise, be not afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man, save Jesus only. And as they came down from the mountain, Jesus charged them, saying, Tell the vision to no man until the Son of Man be risen again from the dead. And then Mark, Mark's account, and Mark chapter 9, and verses 1 to 9, so starting in verse 1, again, you'll notice the similarities in here, but there also are um, some interesting differences in some things. But Mark 9, 1 to 9, says, And he said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that there is to be some of them that stand here, which shall not taste of death until till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. And after six days Jesus taketh with him Peter and James and John, and leadeth them up into an high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his raiment became shining, exceeding white as snow, so as no fuller on earth can white, uh, can white them. 
And there appeared unto them Elias with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here, and let us make, make three tabernacles, one for thee, and one for Moses, and one for Elias. For he wits not what to say, for they were sore afraid. And there was a cloud that overshadowed them, and a voice that came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. And suddenly, when they had looked round about, they saw no man any more, save Jesus only with themselves. And as they came down from the mountain, he charged them that they should tell no man what things they had seen, till the Son of Man were risen from the dead. And then in Luke's account here, Luke 9, 28-36, these are all nine even verses, if you notice here. And it came to pass about eight days after these things, he took Peter and John and James and went into the mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered, and his raiment was white and luster. And behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elias, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep. And when they were awake, they saw the story of the two men that stood with them. So again, kind of just overview of what we kind of just read. Now, Jesus had taken Peter, James, and John to a mountain, and then, of course, then Christ's marvelous transfiguration that we read about here. And Peter, once again, speaks up impulsively. And it's interesting, and the Father himself responds, commanding the Son be paid proper reverence. So some goals to think about and the lesson this evening is just, number one, just to understand that no person, however godly, is to be revered. Number two, realize that the Lord is to have preeminence above all else. And then number three, to choose to reverence the Lord. For the transfiguration of Christ would have been very much been a monumental experience in the life of Peter. As Christ transfigured and appeared in his glory before Peter, James, and John. And this, this lesson studies Peter's presence at the transfiguration, then his response to that special moment. And there's, of course, a lot of different applications that you could make from here, but perhaps the most important lesson learned from Peter is the importance of godly reverence. To reverence Christ is a key attribute of a committed follower of him. So the education of the disciple continues. Now, it seems that Christendom and culture as a whole has become increasingly more casual and less reverent. Yet still, study of the scripture shows the importance of honoring and reverencing the Lord. The psalmist said, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. That's Psalm 46.10. And the prophet Malachi 
conveyed the words of God in Malachi 1.6. says, A son honoreth his father, and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is mine honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear? Saith the Lord of hosts. These passages clearly convey that our God is deserving of honor. And when the disciples asked the Lord to teach them to pray, the first thing he taught them was reverence. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. In today's society, honor is given to many things and to many people. But God desires and deserves honor above all else. In a culture where adulation and veneration is given to athletes, <coughs> actors, business leaders, Christians need to realize that God alone deserves our highest respect. Isaiah delivered God's proclamation in Isaiah 42.8. says, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another. There's some interesting interesting chapters in that portion of Isaiah. God's kind of basically just saying how it is, who he is, and there's nobody else like him there. And our, our text here shows Jesus teaching the Apostle Peter the importance of reverence while on the Mount of Transfiguration, and a lesson that we can still learn today. So getting into point number one, we have the Lord, starts with a P, prayer, not prayer. We're doing one of these in about a month. Program. A Lord's program. Often in the Gospels, Jesus invited his inner circle disciples, of course, for Peter, James, and John, away from other men and demands of ministry to special opportunities that would enable them to focus on him. Luke's account mentions that they went up into a mountain for the specific purpose of praying, which is interesting to think about. Matthew simply states that Jesus brought them up into a high mountain apart. From this example and others, we see that effective prayer time often involves separating oneself from the hustle and bustle of daily life and even from family and friends. Matthew 6, 5 to 6. Remember where we stopped. When thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to, st to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy father which is in secret, and thy father which seeth thee in secret shall reward thee openly. Though God is not calling us to a meeting like the one he had with Peter, he does invite us to come into his presence every day. It's important to separate from the busyness of our schedules and take time to hear from the Lord and bask in the glory of his presence. So subpoint A, we have the, sort of the C. Might be a harder one to get. You know the word, but to guess it in its context. <laughs> the longer word. Close. It's a word similar to that in length. <laughs> the conference. The conference in Matthew 17, 
1 to 3. And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart. And he was trans and was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias, talking with him. Well, we don't know the precise mountain where our story takes place, so they think Mount Hermon in Lebanon is a common uh, thought on that. Here, on what is referred to as the Mount of Transfiguration, the, lo the Lord, his face and raiment is bright as the sun itself, is communed personally with Moses and Elijah. Throughout the New Testament, the scribes and Pharisees gave the utmost reverence to kind of three different people. Who can you, can you think of who those were? Moses would have been one. Elijah and Abraham, right? Kind of those three were kind of like their, their heroes and who they gave reverence to. And it's interesting, who did Jesus talk Who was Jesus talking to here? There's two of them. Peter was soon to learn that Christ deserved reverence even above these men. The Lord deserved honor on a far higher level than even the patriarchs, represented by Abraham. Because what did Jesus have to say about him? For Abraham was, I am. The lawgiver, Moses, and the prophets, represented by Elijah. Now, what a privilege for Peter, James, and John, and even Moses and Elijah to enter this moment of communion with God. Yet in this privilege, we have, we have equal status with those that are accounted the greatest of godly men. In fact, we are invited to come boldly to the throne of grace that we may receive what we need from the hand of our Heavenly Father. There need be no timidity, no hesitation. We are definitely unworthy, completely so, but we are the sons of God, joint heirs with Christ. Our communion with Him was God's desire for the foundation of the world, and that's the way it was meant to be. And because of the Savior, this is the way it can be, if we will only accept of course, his invitation of salvation there. Romans 8, 31 to 32. Where will we stop on that? Uh, what shall we say to these things if God before us who can be against us? He that spared, he that spared, he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Revelation twenty two seventeen. And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. First class privileges on an airline flight don't come because of what your name is or what you've done, but because the price has been paid. Jesus has paid the price required for the privilege we enjoy of fellowshipping intimately with God. It's a privilege we shouldn't take for granted. The king held out his golden scepter to Esther and invited her into his presence to ask her petition. Even so, we've been invited to the presence of our heavenly king to bring our petitions to him. And there's a number of, uh, of verses um, from Esther there. They're actually just listed there for you, so we won't, uh, we won't read them just for time's sake. Here on that, but again, just think back to that situation there. 
course, with Haman and then um, the decree that had been made. And, of course, then she went in to the king and, of course, held out his scepter. And that the privilege was granted right there. And it happened again, actually, in Esther 8 as well. So subpoint B, we had the conference, and then we have the, starts with another C, shorter word. Coming. Think more of the topic of what's going on. Specifically, you had conference. What was the conference about? What was the conference about? Across. Luke 9, 30 to 31, it says, And behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elias, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem, speaking of Christ. And while the lives of Moses and Elijah were ones of significant, important impact, Peter would soon learn that the central event in all of history was to be the crucifixion and later the resurrection of Christ at Jerusalem. Remember back to our last lesson, we saw Peter brought to understand forcefully that this had to occur, no matter how he may have felt personally about it. Here we see the death of the Lord described as something he would accomplish in verse 31. The word translated accomplish, according to Strong's, is means to fulfill or to carry through to the end. You know, Interestingly and wonderfully, Jesus said these words from the cross. It is finished. In Hebrews chapter 10, we learn that the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ on Calvary fulfilled and superseded all other sacrifices. This was the ultimate purpose of them all. The duties of the Old Testament priests pictured and foreshadowed what Christ would do when the fullness of time was come. So again, we understand that the cross was the completion or fulfillment of Jesus' earthly mission. Hebrews 10, 10 to 14. We had that one last. Every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. From henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath affected forever them that are sins. And Galatians 4, 4 through 7. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law. To redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son, and of a son, and heir of God through Christ. In Psalm 22, and then in Isaiah 53, we see the suffering and death of Christ on Calvary prophesied you know, in graphic fashion. And we're not going to read those um, um, accounts tonight, but Matthew 26, and then there's a couple verses there in that chapter, which is the next verses. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O oh, my Father, if it be possible, 
He went away again the second time and prayed, saying to the Father, If this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be, thy will be done. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then shall the scripture be fulfilled? And thus it must be. So point two, this evening we had the Lord's program. Then we have the disciples, also starts the P. I think Peter. Passion. It wasn't a business. Another word for that. Proposal, yes. The disciples' proposal. It must have been a breathtaking experience for the disciples to see the Son of God transfigured before their very eyes. The Word of God says His face was shining as the sun, and His raiment was as white as the light or as the snow. Matthew 17, 2. And was transfigured before them, and His face did shine as the sun, and His raiment was white as the light. Mark 9, 3. And his raiment became shining, exceeding white as snow, so as no color of earth can wipe them. Then Luke nine twenty nine, and as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered, and his raiment was white and glistering. Now, the transliteration of the Greek word used here for transfigured is metamorpho, which we get the word metamorphosis from. And we often use this word to describe the transformation of a caterpillar into a butterfly. There was a complete change here. They had seen Jesus now for years in appearance as a normal man. Now they were seeing him as much as they could with mortal eyes in his glory. The personal experience of the glory of God had a remarkable effect on Moses. These verses um, aren't in your sheet, but I'll read them here. It's Exodus 33, 17 to 23. Let me just go turn here real quick. Exodus 33, 17 to 23, and there's a couple other passages there in Exodus, which we probably won't read for time's sake, but Exodus 33, 17 to 23, says, And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. This is after Moses was talking about, no, asking for God's presence to go with them. And he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me and thou shalt stand upon a rock. And it shall come to pass, while my glory passeth by, that I, will, that I will put thee in a cliff to the rock, and I will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. And I will take away mine hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. And then I'll read, there's just a couple of the verses in uh, chapter 34, which is uh, verses 5 to 8, talking right after this. 
It says, And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And again, this is interesting. This is God talking about himself here. It says, And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children under the third and to the fourth generation. And Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. And then further down in that chapter, you're probably familiar with it already, is when Moses comes back down and is talking to the people, and then his face, he didn't realize it, but his face literally shone and scared him. And he had to put a veil again on his face to talk with them. Again, the physical effects literally of being in the Lord's presence there. And undoubtedly, the three disciples were awestruck when they beheld the glory of God. But then, as happened on several other occasions, Peter did not remain silent for long. Which brings us to um, sub-point A here, is the, starts with a T, T-R, this might be a harder one to get. This word actually is in Romans 13 that we heard about this morning, <laughs> if that's helpful. Speaking of kings, tribute, the tribute. The very first thing Peter said was a wonderful response to a marvelous experience. It was properly stated, and it was absolutely correct. All three gospel accounts quote Peter as saying, Master or Lord, it is good for us to be here. Have you experienced situations in life in which you can say, it is good for us to be here? Do you truly appreciate what God is doing while it's happening? Or is it something you only see in hindsight? It's a wise man who recognizes at the time when something special of a spiritual nature is going on. The Spirit of God may move in a church service, a camp service, a special meeting between two individuals. Yet often believers seem unaware of the significance of God working in the moment. One of God's greatest sorrows is that His own people have come to take him for granted. We see proof of this in Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 to 14, where God chastises the priests for not giving proper honor to his house and his plan. They had long ago lost their sense of reverence for God. Worship and service had become simply a job, and worse, a burden. So those aren't in your... um, and your sheep, but I'm going to go ahead and I'll turn to it and read those here. And it's in Malachi chapter 1, then verses 6 to 14. Malachi 1, verse 6, it says, again, we already read one of these. It says, A son honoreth his father, and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is mine honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear? saith the Lord of hosts unto you, O priests that despise my name. And ye say, Wherein have we despised thy name? Ye offer polluted bread, 
upon mine altar, and ye say, Wherein have we polluted thee? In that ye say, the, temp- the table of the Lord is contemptible. And if ye offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if ye offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto thy governor. Will he be pleased with thee, or accept thy person? saith the Lord of hosts. And now, I pray you, beseech God that he will be gracious unto us. This hath been by your means. Will he regard your persons? saith the Lord of hosts. Who is there even among you that would shut the doors for naught? Neither do you kindle fire on mine altar for naught. I have no pleasure in you, saith the Lord of hosts. Neither will I accept an offering at your hand. For from the rising of the sun... Even at the going down of the same, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. A little bit we heard about this morning. And in every place, incense shall be offered unto my name, and a pure offering. For my name shall be great among the heathen, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye have profaned it, in that ye say, The table of the Lord is polluted, and the fruit thereof, even as meat, is contemptible. Ye said also, Behold, what a weariness is it. And ye have snuffed at it, saith the Lord of hosts. And ye brought that which was torn, and the lame, and the sick. Thus ye brought an offering. Should I accept this of your hand, saith the Lord? But cursed be the deceiver, which hath in his flock a male, and voweth and sacrificeth unto the Lord a corrupt thing. For I am a great king, saith the Lord of hosts, and my name is dreadful among the heathen. How do we recognize God working in our daily lives? How can we attribute daily blessings to him as they happen? To do this, we must walk in the spirit, being sensitive to his leading and responsive to his guidance. As we draw closer to him and away from negative influences, our perspective changes. We can learn to appreciate God's goodness and blessing in our lives. In this passage, Peter truly was giving honor to whom honor was due. This ought to be the desire and burden of the heart of every believer, to honor God. So subpoint B, we had the tribute, and now we have the, also starts with a T. Tabernacles. The Tabernacles. Well, Peter's first statement was excellent, he continued to talk. And as often the case with us, he said, too much. He impulsively proposed that tabernacles be built for Moses, Elijah, and the Lord. Luke described Peter as not knowing what he said. Peter believed the occasion called for a religious ceremony of some kind. He was soon to find out differently. A preacher was aboard a jetliner, which hit some turbulence and began shaking violently. In a panic, a fellow passenger who had made the pastor's, the, the preacher's acquaintance begged him, Quick, do something religious. The preacher promptly took an offering. <laughs> do we sometimes substitute religious rituals for the privilege of a real relationship with the Lord? The issue is this. Peter was actually placing... Moses and Elijah on an equal plane with the Lord. Think about that, really. The Son of God. 
In Peter's thinking, each deserved a tabernacle and was entitled to homage. Again, as we saw in our last lesson, Peter seemed to have lost sight of who he had acknowledged Jesus to be. He had tried to keep Christ from going to the cross, and now he was unwittingly denying Christ his rightful place in worship. He was lacking in the proper reverence for the Lord, and he was about to receive another necessary lesson in the course of his education as a disciple. That brings us to point three. We had the Lord's program, the disciples' uh, proposal, and now the Father starts the P. Promise. Similar to that word. That's the right, right track. Proclamation, yep. Father's proclamation. A central doctrine to all of Christianity is that Jesus is God. Jesus himself attested to being a part of the triune God when he said, I and my Father are one, in John 10, verse 30. That was the truth that people living during that time, the scribes and the Pharisees included, refused to accept. John 10, 31 to 33. I do not know if we remember where we left off. I'll just start in verse 31 with that. It says, Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, Many good works have I showed you from my Father. For which of those works do ye stone me? The Jews... Oh, I'm sorry. The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, and because that thou, being a man, makest thyself God. Still, in all three gospel accounts of the story today, God the Father proclaimed Jesus to be his beloved Son. So sub-point A is, starts with an H, the Son. Specifically, the word in the text. Here. Here, the Son. When Christ was baptized by John in the Jordan River, God the Father stated in an audible voice, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Matthew 3, verse 17. And on the occasion of the transfiguration of Christ, all three of the gospel accounts include God stating again, This is my beloved Son. And the further command, hear him. With this solemn proclamation, Peter especially, along with James and John, was brought to realize that it was Christ and Christ alone, God's beloved Son, who is to have his full attention. They were not to hear Moses and Elijah at this time, and were never to worship them. Such reverence was to be reserved solely for the Lord Jesus Christ. The first step toward victory in the life of every believer is to hear God's word. Indeed, it's the first step toward salvation itself. Romans 10:17 states, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. There's no salvation without the word being permitted to do its work in the heart. Without faith, it's impossible to please God and faith comes through hearing the word of God. Jeremiah 23, 29. Is not my word like as a fire, saith the Lord, like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces? Isaiah 55, 10 through 11. For 
and maketh it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my, my mouth, it shall not return unto me void, but it shall, shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in me the thing whereto it I sent it. Peter, James, and John heard the audible voice of God the Father. Today, the written word of God tells us what he wants us to know. God has left his word with us today as a living book that speaks to the needs of our hearts. We should listen to what it says while silencing other voices that try to steal our attention. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14.10, I think it's there. Um, there are, it may be, you know, so many voices in the world, and none of them is without significant signification, I believe is the verse that, that it's referencing there. In Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. 2 Timothy 3.16-17. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. During late 1998, in the Fort Lauderdale, Florida area, a series of attention-getting billboards began to appear. The sponsor was anonymous, but the messages were clear, a sampling, and all these end with, like, God. Let's meet at my house Sunday before the game. Come on over and bring the kids. God. What part of thou shalt not didn't you understand? We need to talk. Keep using my name in vain. I'll make rush hour longer. <laughs> love the wedding. Invite me to the marriage. That love thy neighbor thing. I meant it. I love you, and you, and you, and you, and dot, dot, dot. Will the road you're on get you to my place? Follow me. Big Bang Theory, you've got to be kidding. My way is the highway. Need directions? You think it's hot here? Have you read my number one bestseller? There will be a test. Do you have any idea where you're going? Don't make me come down there. <laughs> I can think of ten things that are carved in stone. I don't question your existence. Subpoint B. We had um, here the sun, and now we have with an H as well, the sun. Not have. What was that? Heed. Heed the sun. It's clearly understood that God wants us not just to hear, but also to obey. In Matthew 7.24, we see Christ's definition of a wise man. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man, which built his house upon a rock. A.W. Tozer explained it this way. 
It's not just trust. It's not just obey. It is trust and obey. Again, there's some other other verses here. Matthew 7, um, 24 to 27, which is, again, talking the longer uh, verses there on the um, Jesus talking about the wise man and the foolish man there. And, of course, then there's James, James chapter 1. So I'll just turn there and read those real quick. James chapter 1, and then uh, verses 21 through 25. Again, familiar verses here. James 1, 21 to 25. It says, Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Now it's been said that if we all looked into the mirror first thing in the morning and liked what we saw, the world economy would soon collapse because of all the various cosmetics and devices that would no longer be needed. It's probably true. The victorious Christian life is only experienced by one who both hears and obeys God. It's living by God's word and not merely listening to it that brings blessings to the life of the Christian. The pages of God's word are filled with stories of those who obeyed God and were in, tune, and were in turn both used and blessed, and also with the sad accounts of those who chose to do the opposite. Well, the choice to follow God in obedience, it says is an easy one, can sometimes be an easy one for us to make, it still runs contrary to our nature. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. God's answer for this problem is for us to crucify the flesh Daily. 1 Corinthians 15, 31. I protest by your rejoicing which I have in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I die daily. Then Galatians 2, 20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me, and gave himself for me. Now this is, this is baseline reverence, not just a feeling or a mood, but a choice that needs to be renewed daily. A choice that leads to a transformed life and a true state of discipleship. This is education not just of the head, but of the heart and the will. Would you be a disciple of Christ? Then learn the lesson of reverence. So in conclusion... These passages on on the transfiguration of the Lord help us to see Christ as the God-man and help us to realize that He is Lord of all and above all. He alone is worthy of our reverence. 
The story also helps us to understand that we must choose to not only hear God, but also to obey Him. The writer of Hebrews said that we ought to serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Hebrews 12, 28b. And then the last verse to finish it tonight, Psalm 89, verse 7. God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be had in reverence of all them that are about him. And that concludes, concludes the lesson this evening. Any thoughts? Anybody? Anything particular maybe stand out to you? Anything? I know one thing for me, um, a couple things, but one of them was kind of interesting. I never really thought about that whole um, aspect of Peter kind of putting Jesus on par with Moses and Elijah in that situation. I never really thought about it in that way. But really was bringing them up and him down to an equal plane on that. So that 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 was something particularly interesting to me. Anything else in particular? I'll go again. Another thing that was interesting is this, that thought of, are we in tune enough with God to realize what he's doing in the moment? And so often in, we see things in hindsight, you know. And obviously there's some things that you really can only see in hindsight, but to maybe be present enough spiritually, if you can use that, use that term, and it is to be in tune with what God's doing when he's doing it can enable us often maybe to be a part of it, maybe when it's happening versus, um, missed it. That, but. It's like you get busy doing all the things you're supposed to do, and you forget it's relational. You do all the religious things, and you get tired. That's probably because you're not, you know, got to make sure right with God, and that's what gives us all the energy that we've done and we've forgotten. Serving. There was a little blip in there. I'm not even sure if it actually went with the rest of it totally or how I heard it. I like to do things, but sometimes it's not always. thought kind of stopped me is taking God for granted and we're talking about reverence but uh, you know in marriage I think you know as men have our issues but I think sometimes that's a common thing that ladies can involve and just forget you know of what the husband's doing kind of take it for, for granted and I kind of see the same you know same parallels. Anything else? Anybody? Maybe spoke to you or stood out to you? Okay. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we do thank you for the opportunity that we had to, to open your word and just to see some principles from um, just the accounts of um, the, uh, the Mount of Transfiguration and just specifically kind of with Peter as our example and kind of his perspective 
on that. Um, and just the examples and, and the lessons that he learned and we learn um, on reverence and just, just how easy it is, again, just to take you for granted um, and not, not be present enough spiritually <laughs> to realize what you're doing in the moment. And this help us as, again, just the verses that was, uh, the verse that was mentioned there that you are greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be had in reverence of all them that are about him, about you. Just help us to, to reverence you as we should. And again, there's a lot of ways and practical things that, that entails, but um, just to continue as, you know, as the education of a disciple and just a lesson on reverence. Just can be with us again. Um, Keep us um, safe this week, and there will be those that are that are traveling this week with uh, Thanksgiving holiday. Again, just thank you for that time of the year, and just want to be able to spend time with family, but then also to just hopefully <laughs> we take some time to reflect on what all you've done for us and just how you've just really blessed us beyond our dreams, really. And um, it's going to keep us safe and then bring everybody back together again um, in your time. In Jesus' name, amen.